of the 1900s onwards to do with the brave new world they're going to bring in, all based in a form of Darwinism where humanity are animals and therefore they can be reshaped and remade, remolded into any kind of society, any kind of new society. And based on the ideas of Darwin, we saw that this was the Soviet Union where they had the the Soviet man was to be the new man and Nazi Germany it was a superman and today it's towards the, the perfect world citizen who is a good producer and consumer as they call it and I think that's the music coming in so I'll be back with more after this break onwards 
to have these mantras about sustainable development, not realizing that it means that perhaps if the authorities say that you're not fit to breed, or there's too many of you, you're just an, an ordinary person that would produce an ordinary offspring, we don't need you, then you could be sterilized. That's what's coming down the pike, because these boys at the top are on a roll now. They don't even have to start drafting up legislation. I'm sure they already have it and have had it discussed as well at very high levels. I've read some reports from societies that now advise governments like the Optimum Population Foundation or Trust. And in this brave new world, because we're all primitive according to those at the top, we haven't evolved as far as those at the top, we're all primitives, then we all have to be watched and monitored from birth to death and readjusted along with the upgraded political correctness as it keeps changing. This is exactly what George Orwell warned us about in his book 1984. And he calls different techniques double-think, where you will have two opposing ideas in your head about the same topic at the same time. And all, somehow you'll be able to manage that. And you must be able to, for the bureaucratic classes initially, then the rest of the population, to forget all that you've been told before when you're told another reason for something and parrot that as though it's always been that way. That's where we are today. Here's an article from The Guardian Weekly. It says, Big Brother is watching. Surveillance box to track drivers is backed. Then they always tell us it's a privacy row brewing. Well, that's nonsense because I've, I've seen these privacy uh, people before at, in government. There's always a minister appointed, and they tell you themselves they have no power to stop anything. So it says here, this is Tuesday the 31st of March 2009. Government is backing a project to install a communication box in new cars to track the whereabouts of drivers anywhere in Europe. Well, you see, they've really all been, been doing that all along under the guise of uh, insurance fraud and saving people from getting their cars stolen. But as the Guardian can reveal, under the proposals, vehicles will emit a constant heartbeat, revealing the location, speed, and direction of travel. The EU officials behind the plan believe it will significantly reduce road accidents. This is, they talk to us as though we're children. How would it reduce anything? reduce road accidents, congestion, and carbon emissions. A consortium of manufacturers has indicated that the router device could be installed in all new cars as early as 2013. So we can add that to the one they've already put in the, the car. However, privacy campaigners warned last night that a European-wide car tracking system would create a system of almost total road surveillance. Well, that's the point of it. That's what it's all for. Details of the Cooperative Vehicle Infrastructure Systems Project, they love these long terms, eh? CVIS, at £36 million. This is an EU initiative backed by the car manufacturers and telecoms industry will be unveiled this year. Of course, they're all going to benefit out of it financially. And guess who have to pay for the extra? But the Guardian has been given unpublished documents retailing detailing the proposed uses for the system, they confirm that it could have profound implications for privacy, enabling cars to be tracked within a meter more accurate than current satellite navigation technologies. 
what they can also do is shut your car down. Just like the OnStar program. European Commission has asked governments to reserve radio frequency on the 5.9 gigahertz band, essentially setting aside a universal frequency on which CVIS technology will work. Well, you know, if Britain's doing it, they're going to do it here too. Because whatever Britain does now is copied immediately worldwide. The Department for Transport said there were no current plans to make installations of the technology mandatory. Now, they always give you a few months where it's voluntary. However, those involved in the project described the UK as one of the main state backers. Of course, it is. <clears throat> Transport for London has also hosted trials of the technology. So, this is the world we're going into. There was a plan before 9-11 happened, in fact, because I saw similar articles floating the idea back in the 90s, and that's what they call trial balloons. They put up a trial balloon to see what the feedback is from the public. It lets them know if the public really are paying attention or even care, and it gives them an idea of when to proceed and how to proceed and implement it. Trial balloons, also predictive programming. And to be honest with you, the people have bowed down so low today to comply with everything that's happened. I don't see any problem with them bowing even lower. It's the way it is. And it's strange now because I've been talking today to someone about uh, cyber war and how the Internet was given to the public because it's the best way to monitor everyone. Everyone must be predictable in a totalitarian regime. And I was thinking, too, about the nonsense we read recently about China hacking, I don't know, a dozen countries or maybe more into their into government's, their government's uh, computers and taking data from them and even putting in software and reprogramming them. Now, you think about this. this every government in the world has pushed and pushed for you to put all your data on the Internet and to use cashless, the cashless society, electronic banking. The same governments have all had, got the same regulations to do with your spyware and the computers themselves. Every computer sold to the public in every country must be hackable by government agencies. That means that all the spyware that you buy, and even what you think is the best that you can buy, must be bypassable by the government agencies, so it won't keep them out. Plus, they've installed backdoors in the computers. Now, if you think you have an enemy, if you truly thought there was an enemy across the sea somewhere, and that enemy can hack into the government computers, that means that same enemy could also wipe out every account, bank account, of all of you out there who do all your cashless banking. And that's called economic warfare. You crash that, the economy goes right down and we're all sunk. But that's not happened, has it? Hasn't happened. But these, these supercomputers used by so a supposed enemy have hacked into the government computers, we're told. Well, what chance would we truly have against this, done against us ourselves? We'd have none with our little AVGs and spy bots and all the rest of it that we're allowed to purchase. None at all. Which tells you there are no enemies because they never set it up and put their own public or slaves at risk of being conquered by someone else. Very simple. 
Wired, the Wired magazine, on May the 13th, 2008. Come back 2008. This is the article I've mentioned before. Air Force aims for full control of any and all computers. It says the Air Force wants a suite of hacker tools to give it access to and full control of any kind of computer there is. And once the info warriors are in, the Air Force wants them to keep tabs on their adversaries' information infrastructure undetected. Back with more after these messages. Through the Matrix, showing the listeners that uh, when these guys talk about doing something, they always do it. And there are people, including myself, who seem to get hacked pretty regularly now, who are speaking out about what's happening in the world. I guess that's the, the evidence to ourselves, really, that we're being targeted because we're saying something that is at least being a nuisance to those in control. And to be honest with you, I don't think that you can do much more than be a nuisance, because I really do think it's almost all sewn up, except for those who can still think. That's the only thing in our favor. There are still people today who haven't succumbed and who can still think for themselves. They know what's going on. They're sentient. But continuing with this article from Wired, it says the government is growing increasingly interested in waging war online. The Air Force recently put together a cyberspace command with a charter to rule networks the way its fighter jets rule the sky. To rule networks. I'm not kidding. The Department of Homeland Security, DARPA, and other agencies are teaming up for a five-year, $30 billion national cybersecurity initiative. This is the, that's the start of it. They always give low numbers to start. That's low these days. That includes an electronic test range where federally funded hijackers or hackers can test out the latest electronic attacks. You need an army to wage a war, a recent Air Force commer- uh, commercial notes. Now all you need is an Internet connection. They introduced a two-year, $11 million effort also to put together hardware and software tools for dominant cyber offensive engagement. Of interest are any and all techniques to enable user and or root level access a request for proposals notes to both fixed PC or mobile computing platforms, any and all operating systems, patch levels, applications and hardware. This isn't just some computer scientific study, mind you. Research efforts under this program are expected to result in complete functional capabilities. This is the proposal is to knock down enemy websites with military uh, botnets, they call them. The research lab is encouraging a sneaky, low, slow, and low approach. Preferred attack consists of lying quiet and then stealthily exfiltrating information from adversaries' networks. I know people who've had their hard drives fried with these, and they admit they can fry your hard drive. I've read the articles from that as well. So simple, because after all, 
the, the military industrial complex were using the internet long before we even knew it existed. They gave it to the public, a lower grade version, mind you. So naturally, they, they made it and designed it, the stuff for the public, to be hackable and destructible as well, if need be, and you become a nuisance. It's interesting to watch this actually take place, and it's certainly interesting to watch it happen when it happens to you. Here's another article along similar lines. This is from Mother Jones of all magazines. And it says here, a new bill would give the president emergency authority to halt web traffic and access private data. It's from April 2nd, 2009. Should President Obama have the power to shut down the domestic internet traffic during a state of emergency? Well, if you don't know it, we're in a perpetual state of emergency. Senators John Rockefeller and Olympia Snow think so. On Wednesday, they introduced a bill to establish the Office of the National Cybersecurity Advisor, an arm of the executive branch that would have vast power to monitor and control Internet traffic. And here's how to protect against threats to critical, critical cyber infrastructure. The broad power is rattling some civil libertarians. It says, um, it also has a PDF of the whole, the whole bill here, by the way. Uh, and it says here, the bill does not define a critical information network or a cybersecurity emergency. That definition would be left to the president. The bill does not only add to the power of the president, it also grants the Secretary of Commerce access to all relevant data concerning critical networks without regard to any provision of law, regulation, rule, or policy restricting such access. This means that he or she can monitor or access any data on private or public networks without regard to privacy laws. Rockefeller made cybersecurity one of his key issues as a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, which he chaired until last year. He now heads the Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation, which will take up this bill. We must protect. It's great. They move, they move, they move chairs, don't they? But they take the same bills with them. This must be. This is one of his babies. We must protect our critical infrastructure at all costs, from our water to our electricity, to banking, traffic lights, and electronic health records. The list goes on, Rockefeller said in a statement. Snow echoed her colleague saying, if we fail to take swift action, we regrettably risk a cyber Katrina. <laughs> but the white powers outlined in the Rockefeller Snow legislation has at least one internet advocacy group worried. The cybersecurity threat is real, says Leslie Harris, head of the Center of Democracy and Technology, but such a drastic federal intervention in private communication technology and networks could harm both security and privacy. To undermine the Electronics Communication Privacy Law, says CDT Senior Counsel Greg Noyam. That law enacted in the mid-80s requires law enforcement to seek a warrant before tipping or tapping into data transmissions between computers. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
processes passing through the matrix. Just showing you how everything's on a rampage now towards a particular goal. We have many goals to fulfill different levels. Some are five-year plans, some are ten-year plans, some are thirty, some fifty-year plans. That's their MO, intergenerational Fabian alterations to achieve their beautiful new world order. And today I was talking to someone about communism. And I, I said, you know, we're basically under the Soviet regime. And if you don't mention that to the public and mainstream, the public, unfortunately, will not come to that conclusion by themselves. Brzezinski was quite correct. He talked about the scientific indoctrinations and even using technotronic warfare on the public, of which he said to be completely unaware. But he said they'll shortly be unable to reason for themselves. They'll expect the media to do the reasoning for them. Therefore, they can give you all the symptoms of what was called the Soviet system, but just don't, don't mention communism. And if they don't mention it, the general public will never catch on and say, my goodness, this was kind of familiar. And remember, collectivism is another term for communism that the Club of Rome used when they said they preferred that system to run a world. That's what they're going to model all of this on. That's why, by the way, that's why China is the model state for the world. We've all to emulate them. This is an article from, I think it's the Associated Press yesterday. Beijing. This is Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez says his two-day visit to Beijing this year is part of the creation of a new world order. That's just what Brown said, isn't it? At the G20 meeting, a new world order. So all the, all the ones that you thought were opposing each other and they, they play this game in public are all going in the same direction, using the same terminology. Isn't that kind of odd, folks? And just for the hard of thinking, I'll repeat that. Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez says his two-day visit to Beijing this week is part of the creation of a new world order. The frequent U.S. critic who was to meet with China's president and Communist Party leader, Hugh Tiento, on Wednesday told reporters when arriving the evening before that power in the world was shifting from America to countries such as Iran, Japan, and China. That's exactly, of course, what uh, Brzezinski said when he was coaching Obama. He was publishing this stuff in major magazines and so on. We are creating a new world, a balanced world, a new world order, a multipolar world, Chavez says. Multipolar world, eh? The unipolar world has collapsed. The power of the U.S. empire has collapsed. Every day, new poles of world power are becoming stronger. That's all over the Foreign Affairs magazine, the CFR's official magazine. And it's been out there like that for months, talking about the same thing. Since last year, in fact, they've been talking about this, that the U.S. must go down and new countries emerge, etc., emerging countries, and take the rightful place. Meanwhile, of course, America and some of the British uh, Commonwealth countries have to fund it all. You see? So the unipolar world has collapsed, the power of the U.S. empire has collapsed, and new poles of world power are becoming stronger. 
is moving towards the east and towards the south. Chavez has made his Beijing frequent uh, stop, a frequent uh, one in his global travels to promote his agenda of anti-American world unity. Stopping in the Chinese capital no less than six times since during rising to power in 1998 elections. So, here you have all sides, supposedly, guys who publicly yell at each other and yell about each other, all going in the same direction, saying the same, using the same terms, giving the same reasons and explanations for it happening, and we can't quite catch on. There's a big club here. There's only one pirate ship, and they're all on board it. That's how it really is. They're all on board. And then the article goes on to talk about all their investments and things that they're doing. I'm also going to put a link up tonight about that bill that's going through. It's sitting there waiting to go through. The one I think it was the guy from Monsanto up next, next to Obama put it in. Uh, HR 875. It truly is so open and vague to do with food and food safety that literally they can classify your kitchen as a preparation place for food and have a government inspected. It's an open door. But also gardeners, even home gardeners, could be charged and have all their, conf- their property confiscated if they don't go by certain guidelines and rules. And the people who put it forward, as they say, all work for Monsanto. So are we really surprised? Because after all, you see, in this brave new world, you have to be interdependent. You cannot be independent for water, independent for your food or anything else. You'd be antisocial if you're not interdependent on the system. Therefore, every means of being independent has been for many years, and now it's on a roll, has been taken away from you to make sure you're interdependent, meaning totally dependent on the system. That's what it means. Doublespeak is wonderful. Wonderful. Interdependence means you have no independence. Quite simple. But yeah, this is going through and it's scaring a lot of people. This article here, it says, um, Bill is sitting in committee. I don't know when it's going to go through. It probably will get rammed through. And then it goes into all the things that can happen. Legally buying state agriculture departments to enforcing federal guidelines, effectively taking away the state's power to do anything other than being food police for the federal department. Effectively criminalizes organic farming, but doesn't actually use the word organic. Affects anyone in growing food, even if they are not selling it, but consuming it. Affects anyone producing meat of any kind, including wild game. They don't miss a thing, eh? Legislation is so broad-based that every aspect of growing or producing food can be made illegal. Every aspect of growing or producing food can be made illegal. They're not stupid at the top with their legalisms. If they wanted to make it very clear, it would be clear. The reason they believe it's so vague and open is because they're going to exploit those areas and use them over you in an authoritarian manner. So there are no specifics, which is bizarre considering how long the legislation is. It says um, Section 103 is almost entirely about the administrative aspect of the legislation. It will allow the appointing of officials from the factory farming corporations and lobbyists and classify them as experts and allow them to determine and interpret the legislation. This is who do you think they're going to side with? 
Section 206 defines what will be considered a food production facility and what will be enforced up all food production facilities. The wording is so broad-based that a backyard gardener could be fined and more. Section 207 requires that the state's agricultural department act as the food police and enforce the federal requirements. This takes the state's power away and is in violation of the 10th Amendment. Well, who cares about amendments anymore and all that stuff because no one's really taking any look at that seriously for years. That's been obvious. We even had presidents making rather sarcastic comments about them. It says here, it's an interesting connection because it's true. Didn't Stalin nationalize farming methods and enable his administration to gain control over the food supply? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't Stalin use the food to control the people? Yeah, and then Lenin did, uh, Stalin did when he starved the Ukrainians to death and actually took all their grain from them. See, food is a weapon. His last word, legislate religion and enforce gag orders on ministers and what can and can't be said in the pulpit, instituting regulations forcing people to rely solely on the government, control the money and the food. What is that called? It's on the tip of my tongue. But I'll put up the link for that too, because it will end up where you have people coming into your kitchen. But they already have that in Britain on a voluntary basis, mind you, from the government where people are hired to go around and come into your kitchen and check your refrigerator and advise, silly old you, how to store food, use food, and what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And that's where it's going to go. And you get, you'll have penalties eventually if there's too many fatty foods, especially if they, when they start weighing you, mandatory weighing, that will come up as well. You see, we're just livestock to these people at the top. Livestock. They want to check the condition of their livestock. And unfortunately, most folk don't mind today. Don't mind. They walk through to go with their holidays and Ikhra. And here's the guys come out with their, with their socks on the floor, holding up their pants like somebody who'd just uh, been captured and put in a Gestapo camp. They don't complain as long as they can go with their holidays. Humiliation. How much does it take? It's endless, isn't it? We've noticed that. Endless humiliation. I always think of Bertrand Russell when he says we shall create apathy with the people. That's the sort of thing you do to create apathy. You also show massive force by state powers, internal armies, call them police or whatever you want. That also creates apathy. What can I do? She feels so small. This is all part of psychological conditioning and warfare. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. But that's the world that was planned long ago. That's the world we're living through. And meanwhile, everyone is fighting everyone else on other levels as, as we all go under, which I, I said years ago would happen. Now we've got a caller from Australia. Is Paul is Paul on the line there? Oh, hello, Mr. Allen. What? How are you doing? It's an honour to talk to you as, as always, sir. How are you doing? Um, not too bad, thank you. And uh, just listening to what you were just saying, Alan, about how 
how far will uh, the government humiliate their people? And I think to the point of death, I reckon. You're right, yeah. Yeah, quite sad, quite sad. And, you know, talking about, uh, well, for Australia anyway, the, the emblem of the kangaroo, and I think it's the emu, about how they symbolise us as animals, basically. Would that be correct? Is yeah, I have no doubt at all. I have no doubt at all, yeah. Yeah, because it should be a man and a woman, like, left to right, shouldn't it? I mean, in the minimum, anyway, as a, as a human race, instead That's of right. a kangaroo and emu for Australia. <laughs> yep. Well, it's better than Canada. See, Canada used to use the, the, the British flag, and then they pulled a con telling us we had more freedoms, and they gave us uh, a maple leaf. And the maple leaf is a red one. And a, a red maple leaf is a dead one. You get that in the fall. <laughs> oh, my God. I never would have made that connection. You're right. You're yeah. right. And, um, and just one more quick thing, Alan, uh, about uh, Kevin Rudd, the Prime Minister of Australia. He, he wanted everybody to have uh, optic fiber throughout all of Australia, everybody having it which would have cost billions and billions of dollars, but luckily the opposing side, and rightfully so, said he wouldn't be able to afford to, and he kept on saying, well, uh, it, it'll, it'll, be, it'll, it'll pay off in the end. But, and I was, I was thinking, really, my main point of that was why optic fibre everybody of the internet? It seems like a, a form of uh, spying and, um, and all of that. Yes. Well, that's why they gave us internet. In fact, they could not pull all of this off and be so absolutely sure with their data collection as they keep the pulse on everybody and the trends and they keep the, the present trends. They're always ahead of the game. They couldn't pull any of this off without computers. And that goes for all police enforcement, everything. You know, in, in, in Europe, same in Britain, they're all connected. All the policemen, every policeman is connected with a special system with a new radio. And he can talk to any cop across Europe. The lowly policeman can talk to any cop across Europe with this, this uh, interconnected system uh, any time he wants. So they have their own special ones for themselves. But for the general public, uh, we are, we're, just, we're just an open book. We are an open book for them to read daily. And uh, they, they know exactly what to do. They know if there's resentment against something which tells them how to get around it. Um, the RAND Corporation uses this, this data all the time. And, and projects um, upcoming trends and how they can uh, enforce certain things and get round objections. It's all done with data collection. Yeah. Absolutely. It's kind of like, uh, like the devil himself. It's kind of having a book of life for all our minions of you know, people in this world. It's kind of like that, how he wants to track everybody and, and try and have like his own book of life because it's kind of like the Big Brother system, Alan, mm -hmm. uh, in the UK of, uh, of England of how Big Brother cameras are everywhere because um, I believe that uh, the devil is not omnipresent like the Lord Jesus Christ is, and so you must have to keep an eye, a, li a physical eye uh, throughout the world. Oh, it's a physical eye. But, you know, it, the technique, too, is just one place removed from the old technique. If you look at the, the communist countries or any totalitarian country in the past, you'd have massive photographs and, and pictures of the leader in the streets, uh, you'd have them in doorways, you'd have them in alleyways, you'd have them everywhere you look. Big Brother was really there, the face of Lenin or Stalin or Adolf and so on. And you go back into ancient times in the Eye of Ra, if you were a slave in Egypt, uh, that was everywhere you looked. There was always an Eye of Ra somewhere watching you. And psychologically, it makes you feel so tiny, small, and it made you, again, apathetic, thinking there's nothing I can do. This all-knowing eye sees every move I make. If I run off, they'll know. Mm -hmm. 
It's the same yeah, exactly. kind of technique. And when, when they, that's one of the main objects of all of this surveillance is, is a psychological uh, effect to get the public to feel apathetic. Because you do, again, true, in an, an experiment, that which is being um, observed will, will behave differently when it knows is being observed. And so our behavior Absolutely. is modified when we know we're being watched. We're acting through life. People are posing and acting and constantly second-guessing themselves in case they do something that might be construed as wrong or misinterpreted as being wrong. So we're being trained through all this observation, and the cameras are part of the training system. You're, you're so correct. Uh, it's been an honor speaking with you, Alan. Thank you very much. And thanks for calling. Then we'll go to Andrea from New York. Are you there, Andrea? Hello. 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 Yes. Hi. Um, I was watching Reality Check Part 2, and you talk about flags, and you talk about the British uh, and the American and the French flags, and yeah. evolution after revolution mm -hmm. of the flags. Yeah. And um, the British flag uh, it at one time had the uh, red and white stripes, and then the Templar Cross and the St. Andrew's Cross in uh, the upper left-hand corner, right? Yeah. yeah, that was the British East India Company. That was the first major international corporation owned by the Crown and nobility. So that wasn't, the, that wasn't the British flag then? Uh, they had the British flag in the corner of it, yeah. Hold, hold on a second and I'll we'll take this up after this break. This is cutting through the matrix, talking to Andrea from New York about the, the flags. And continue, Andrea. Uh, yeah. Um, so the um, British East India Company uh, flag became the British flag. Uh, no, they already had the the um, what they call the Union Jack. That's the cross and uh, the St Andrew's cross combined. You see, I understand that, that England started off with the Knights Templars cross, the red. Cross. Oh, right. Yeah, and that's a sign in itself that something else is running England. But then they merged with Sir Andrew's Cross of Scotland because they were building up an empire, and uh, they added to it that way as well. So oh. uh, when they created the corporations, and uh, as I say, the crown, it was the first major crown corporation in the time of Elizabeth I, the first truly Rosicrucian court. They created the, the, the British East India Company, and then they had a succession of flags that kind of evolved over time. But one of their flags also was interesting because it had the stripes, of course, the red and white, uh, horizontal. And mm -hmm. they also had a, a, a circle of stars on a blue background for every place that they basically owned. They had a depot, a major depot in the country. Were these white stars? Yes. And uh, it's interesting to see that because... The European Union uh, has got 12 stars on a blue background in a circle. And the original uh, revolutionary flag of the U.S. Uh, wasn't, uh, didn't have horizontal uh, bar, uh, stripes of, of stars. It had a, had a circle of 13 stars on a blue background, just like they did in, in, in the old um, 
East India Company before they put up the, the, the British one on top of it. So it's interesting to see the same people, obviously, the same associations, obviously, uh, down through time using the same symbology time after time, and the public don't catch on to it. Right. But in the Pythagorean, remember, too, they're always talking about Pythagoras in the so-called high Masonic tradition and Fabian society. It's all part of the same thing. Um, they use color coding as well. And for instance, for the, you ever wonder why they always have blue for conservative and police, etc. And then when you have the, the labor or liberal, it's a red tie they'll wear. Mm-hmm. And you also have the green one is in now as well. These are all sacred colors because right. each color represents a technique of use over the public. And revolution is the red one. So you have the, the cap is red and the flag is red. Uh, and then under law, you always think we're bringing a constitution or a new government under law. Well, in comes the blue, you see. Right. Yeah. And, of course, it's done by who? Those who are illumined. What is illumined? Those who are white. So you always have white. So it's always red, mm-hmm. white, and blue for the high Masonic tradition. But the sacred color that's never shown until completion is green. Yeah. Oh. Oh, my. So what about the French flag? The French is the same. Yep, it was born in revolution, and it's red, white, and blue. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for calling. Okay. Bye. Yeah, we live through a system of languages, and again, um, it's always in your face, but people don't stop to question or think. And you look at uh, the present world maps, look at all the small countries now that have triangles and pyramids uh, of all kinds, and sunrises very important sunrises over water, over land, the dawning of a new day, etc. It's in our faces, and the cluster, little cluster around the UN, very important, that's the conqueror in ancient Rome. So from Hamish, myself, and Natura, Canada, it's good night, and may your God, or your gods, go with you.